Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're continuing, of course, our study of temptation in our grow groups this semester, and we're seeing it's a study because it affects every one of us in this room. Uh, we, we've trusted, we who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, we want to live for Him, we want to make an impact for Him, but there's a problem because there's a pull in our lives to do wrong, to live for ourselves, to sin. We experience temptation, uh, the pull to go contrary to God's Word. The, the truth is this, we are in a fallen world and we are fallen people. That's what has happened. And even as a new creation in Christ, we're born again, we'll become a new creation in Christ, we still have the natural bent to sin. It's called the flesh. It's still there. As we look at our study, we've raised three big ideas here. We've looked, what is temptation? Where does temptation come from? And how do we deal with temptation? And so in the last few lessons, we've been seeing this, this progress or process of temptation. You see something, you want it. This is the temptation. You see you want it. Then you do it, you take it, and you hide it. And we said that temptation itself is not sin. We'll talk about it more in a second, but it's not sin because Jesus was tempted in all points yet without sin. So the bottom line is that uh, there's a temptation that can come into our lives, and how we respond to that is going to decide whether we sin or not. We may see it and want it, but if we can stop it right there and never do it, so to speak, uh, we're going to be okay. This morning we're going to look at David. Now last time we went real fast and we just looked real quickly at David. We're going to go a little bit more detail this time, but we're going to add some things to it. And so we're going to see this morning what I call the progression of temptation and the confession when we sin. What do we do? How do we deal with it? So that's what we're going to look at. Let's think about David. <clears throat> I love King David. King David is a man after God's own heart. Over the years, we've, we've actually did a whole study, I think, in grow groups on the life of David, and we talked about a special man raised up by God. When you think of David, you really think of two events. You think of David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba. You think of great victory with David and Goliath, a young man, uh, even too young to wear armor, and he takes his sling uh, and, uh, and goes and kills Goliath. It's a great victory. Trust God. He said, you come with me, Goliath, with sword and shield, but I come in the name of the living God. So great victory. And then the second thing, when you think of David, you think of David and Bathsheba. And, you, and we think about this great failure where David probably should have been at war, should have been in battle, and he's at home, and we saw what happened, and we, we mentioned it last time. So David's so great. David was promised by God. This is what's amazing. David, a man after God's own heart, promised by God that through him, through his lineage, the Messiah would come, and his greater son, which is the Messiah, would sit on the throne of Israel forever as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, that is an incredible promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17. And that's why when Jesus was on the earth, and you noted from David, David was the tribe of Judah, from David all the way through, there came this family unit, Mary and Joseph, and then Jesus was born, and Jesus is a descendant basically through Mary, which goes back through Judah, which is a descendant of King David. And uh, here is this Messiah and Savior. And so when Jesus was on the earth, what did they call him? They called him Son of... David. So when you say great king in Israel, almost all the time we want to say great king in Israel, Solomon, richest man, wisest man, everything. But really the greatest king in Israel is not Solomon. The greatest king in Israel is David. And the one who's going to be like him will be the greater son of David, and that is Jesus Christ. When we see David as a great man, but here's what we think. He failed. He was tempted and failed. And that tells us the same thing. And the great truth is each of us, we can fail. When we're tempted, sometimes we fail. What are we to do? Well, this morning, we're going to look at the life of David. We're going to quickly see his failure, but we're going to see what he did. 
Because there's a difference between what David did when he sinned and what King Saul did when he sinned. And then, what are we going to do when we sin? Because we all sin. Now, if we, if we lived in the power of the Holy Spirit and lived by the Word of God every day, moment by moment by moment, we wouldn't have to sin. In fact, we wouldn't sin. But we're tempted, and when we're tempted, sometimes we choose to do things that we want to do that's contrary to the Scripture, and that's sin. So what do we do? Well, let's get a brief review. Turn to 2 Samuel 11, and we see David. It's the springtime. Notice when it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbath, and, but David stayed in Jerusalem. We talked about this last week. If you know, the capital of Jordan is Ammon. That's Ammon. They're, 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 a cap, they're going right now what would be modern-day Jordan and modern-day the capital of Jordan. They're attacking that city, Ammon, Ammon, the Ammonites, and besieging a city called Rabbath, Rabbath Ammon. And, uh, but David, but, there's a but. Whenever you see a but, it's a contrast. And so here's the contrast. David sent Joab and his servants, and they're going to fight an enemy, but David stayed in Jerusalem. Now, why didn't he go fight? Why didn't he go fight? We have no idea. David was a fighter. David was a great fighter. David was a great leader. When they'd go to war, David go to war. I mean, he was amazing. So why didn't he go fight? We don't know. Something was happening. Who knows why he didn't go? But look at verse 2. Now, in the evening came, David arose from his bed, walked around on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Well, here's what we see. He goes out at night and he saw this woman. He saw her. Now, we all know that there, there's, what's the progression? See, want, take, hide. So when you, you see and then you what? You want. So what should he have done when he wanted? Turn around and go right back inside. He should have said, wait a minute. You know, I'm the king of, hey, here's the problem. How, we all justify our sin, Right? Don't we justify our sin? When you do something wrong, you say, well, I couldn't help it, or that's the way it is, or that's the way I am, or I deserve that, or I deserve this. David could have said, well, you know, I don't know who she is, but I am the king of Israel, and I can have just about anybody I want, right, because I am the king of Israel. I mean, I'm the most important person in this whole kingdom. See, what sometimes we forget, and what David forgot then, is that according to when Moses wrote the first five books, and when they were about to come into the land, and here's what he said. He said, someday when you get a king, and you will, the king will have his own personal copy of the scripture. That would have been at least the first five books. And the king is to keep his copy with him, and the king is to know it and live by it. So the king wasn't the most important person in Israel God was. The king represented God. And that's like every one of us in this room. We all represent Jesus Christ. We represent God. We're not the most important one. God's the most important one. And we don't live for ourselves. We live for Jesus Christ. I think David forgot that. And so when he walked out there and he saw this woman, it says he saw her. And I think he wanted her. She was very beautiful. So what did he do? Verse 3, so David sent and inquired about the woman, and somebody said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So he inquired about it and found out who it was. And so he saw her, and he desired her, which he wanted her. 
And then he found out that she's actually married to somebody. In fact, she's married to one of his soldiers, a guy named Uriah, uh, who was uh, obviously a pretty, I mean, pretty good soldier, pretty main one. And so if he would have just stopped, Saul wanted. But look what the next verse says. So David, verse 3 again, so David inquired about the woman. Somebody said, this is not Bathsheba, she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers, and what did he do? What does it say? Took her. He took her. Sent messages and took her. Remember the progression? See, want, take. And that's what he did. And he took her. And it says that he sent messages to her, and when she came with him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanliness, she returned to her house. He actually said, Let me, you know, I, I think we've done something wrong here, so I'm going to offer this little sacrifice, and I'll be clean, and, and then I'll go back to my house. Uh, that's sometimes what we do. We think, uh, I'll just kind of cover this up somehow. And that's what he wants to do. He sent messages and he took her. And so what we see is he saw her, he wanted her, took her. And then what did he try to do? Try to hide it. You can go home now. That's basically what he said. You can go home. You can go home. I don't know what she thought about it after that. Did she think one night stand with the king? Did the king think, you know, I mean, how many, how many wives, how many wives did David have? Do you, you know how many wives he had? I can think of four or five to start with, Okay. If you read the life of David, he had a lot of wives. That didn't mean it was right, but that's what they did. Okay? And so he may have just said, well, that, that was good. <laughs> that was a one-night thing, you know. She may have said, well, let's go back home and act as if nothing ever happened. Because sometimes when we sin, we'd like to say, nothing ever happened. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, it says what Dave, David did he did in secret. And that's what we do. I mean, let's face it. We do something wrong. I mean, anybody want to come up here and tell me uh, three or four of your sins from yesterday? Because, I mean, we're limited them, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, right? We're limited them. So if I could just say, why don't you give your, uh, your bottom three, not your top three? But even then, we don't want to say, I don't want to give my bottom three. I don't want to give any of my three. I don't want anybody to even know what I do. I don't even know what I think, the bad thoughts that I think, or even, I don't want, because we, we see it, and we want it, and we then do it, and then we what? We hide it. So David says, you know, I pretty much think it's over. That was good. I'm through. Verse 5, the woman conceived. And she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Uh oh, that, that kind of messes up the hiding part. You know what I mean? Right? Because in a, few, in a little while, it's going to be obvious something's happened, right? And where has, is her husband? Uh, he's uh, fighting the Ammonites at Rabbath Ammon. Uh, he's not home. So, I mean, if people sit down and go, well, he wasn't even there. What's going on? So what does David try to do when he realizes this? He said, you know, I, I got to get out of this somehow. Isn't that what we do? I got to get out of this somehow. I got to figure out a way to cover this up so nobody will ever know. And the best thing to do is just try to cover this thing up. And so he does. He brings Uriah and he says, Uriah, send, for, send to Joab and tell him to, Uriah to come home. And so he brings Uriah back as if he's wanting to check out everything. And he says, Uriah, how's the battle going? Uriah says, it's a pretty big battle. It's going good, though. I think we're whooping them pretty good. Well, great. Listen, here's what I want you to do, Uriah. I would like you... Since I'm so proud of all that you've done, why don't you go home, spend the night with your wife, 
And then you can go back to battle. And then David says, this, is, this will be work out. Because what he'll do is he'll go have sexual relations with her. And then she'll be pregnant and everybody will think it's him. And he'll think it's him. And everything will be okay. But Uriah said, well, I don't think I'll go sleep with my wife. What? Well, because, see, all the soldiers that I fight with, they're out in the middle of nowhere and they're not with their wives. How could I, how could I do this? And so he sleeps at the door. And so David calls him in the next day and said, uh, listen, so uh, you didn't go. No, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a great party. Look, have some, here's some wine. Here, here's some flowers, stickers and flowers. Just go and have a great time with her tonight. And she doesn't do it. Well, he wanted to do it. So David says, I've I got to figure out something now because he's not going to go sleep with his wife. So what am I going to do? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill him. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill him. So he says, sends word to Uriah. I mean, he sends word to Joab, who is, who is his, his great guy. You know, he sends the word and says, put him at the front of the battle. So that, and then when the battle's going and Uriah's right at the front fighting, tell our people to back up and he'll be by himself. And he'll be killed. And he sent the message by who? By Uriah. He said, here's a message, don't read it. So he gets there. He says, this is a message from King David to you, Joab. He opens it up and says, kill Uriah. Thank you, Uriah, for bringing this message. Right? And they get into the battle. What happens? They charge the wall. Joab tells his men to back up. Uriah doesn't know anything about it. He's fighting by himself and he gets killed. And so, Joab sends a message, says, I hate, I've got some bad news. We got in the battle, it got really tough, and Uriah got killed. And David goes, well, you know, sometimes in war, that's what happens. He went and told, he got the word to Bathsheba, your husband was killed in the battle. And she mourned. And then when the time, verse 27 of this chapter, when the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Now it looks like well, I'm married to her, and she got pregnant, and she's going to have our baby. Everything's fine now. Nobody will ever know. The last verse, or the last sentence in verse 27 says, but the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, when you sin, what are you supposed to do? Tell, do what? Confess. Aren't we supposed to tell on ourselves? Isn't that what confession is? Anytime, the moment you know you're sinning, the moment you do something and you go, ooh, what are you supposed to do right that second? Confess it. That's what you're supposed to do. Well, David didn't do that. In fact, in the pattern, he saw it, he wanted it, he took, he hid. And that's what David's doing. Now, how do we deal with sin? How do we deal with sin? We're going to talk about confession just for a minute. We're going to see what David does. What is confession and what does God do when we confess? Some people have a, an incorrect view of confession. I'll show you what it is in just a second when we talk to it. So, some time passed and Nathan the prophet, God revealed to Nathan the prophet what David had done. Now, think about it. Uh, you're David. You think you got it pretty much made, but God has a prophet named Nathan, who's close with David, and God actually reveals to the prophet what David has done. 
So be careful. Who knows? You know, when you do something wrong, who, kn- who knows who's going to find out? So Nathan the prophet comes and he says, hey, David, I got to tell you a story. He said there was this guy, a rich man and a poor man, and the rich man had all kind of animals, and the poor man had just one little sweet little lamb that he took care of, and it was just like his pet. In fact, it was his pet lamb. And the rich man had some visitors come, and instead of taking his own lambs, he went down to the one guy that took, took that one guy's lamb, which was his pet lamb, and killed it and ate it. And David says, this guy deserves to die. He had everything, and he took that one, that guy's one lamb that he loved. I tell you, he needs to pay back fourfold, and he ought to be dead. And Nathan said, you're the man. You had everything, and you took your eyes one thing. What David really said to himself is, I deserve to what? I deserve to die. Let me ask you a question. When you sin, do you deserve to die? Do you? We do. We act like sin is no big deal. Oh, it's no big deal. Do we deserve to die? We do. We do. We do. What did David do? Nathan said, you've despised the word of God. And what did David do? David said that David did the right thing. David said, I have sinned, and sin is against God. What is David fixing to do? He's confessing. And look at this. This is Psalm 32. This is what David wrote when he sinned with Bathsheba. He said, how blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven. Basically, how blessed is when you sin and it's forgiven, when your sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. God doesn't put it on my account. In whose spirit there's no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, when I didn't confess my sin, my body wasted away through groaning all day long. Day and night, the hand, your hand, God, was upon me. My vitality was drained away. He said, he said I, was, I, was, I was dying. We think that David, it was about a year, we think, from the time of the sin until the time that David confessed his sin. Look what he goes on to say. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. What happens when you confess your sin? He forgives. Listen, when we confess, what is confession and what does God do when we confess? Okay? What is confession? Listen, confession is telling on yourself. Now, a lot of people say confession is asking for forgiveness. It's okay to ask for forgiveness, but the word confess doesn't mean ask for forgiveness. Confess is homo legeo. Homo means same. Legeo means to speak. So the Greek word means to speak the same thing. In other words, say what God would say. So if you lie, you say to God, God, I lied. That's confession. I lied. You could say, oh, Lord, forgive me for lying. But confession is actually telling on yourself. And I'm not going to say it's not wrong to ask for forgiveness, but confession itself actually means to tell on yourself, to tell what you've done wrong. So, but, so what does God do? What does God do? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if, maybe we will, maybe we won't, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to do two things. What is it? Forgive and cleanse. He forgives us sins. And he cleanses us from all iniquity. Now, this is a, one of the greatest verses of all time. And most of you know it. We'll go into details on this some other time. But when you confess your sin, let's say that I lied to Chelsea and I'm confessing my sin. And I say, Lord, I lied to Chelsea. 
He's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from what? All iniquity. I may have 20 other lies, 20 other sins, 20 other things. But God does this. Because you can't remember everything you do wrong, right? Can you remember everything you did wrong yesterday? And that's just yesterday. What about two weeks ago? Listen, here's the deal. The moment you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you what it, that, that sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So God basically says, you're back in fellowship with me. Because see, we're not talking about salvation or anything. We're talking about confession deals with, with uh, your, your fellowship with God, not your relationship with God. Your relationship with God comes by faith in Christ. Your fellowship comes God by walking in righteousness. And when you sin, you get out of fellowship. When you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you and put you back in the fellowship. What David did in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, read them both. It's where David confesses his sin and writes it down. Now, just be thankful that you're not David because everything David did wrong got put in a big book that everybody reads for all history, right? So when you see David, you can say, David, we know about you and Bathsheba. And David says, yeah, but what about you and all yours? It just didn't get written down, right? So what do we do when we sin? We confess it, and he's faithful and just to forgive us. So here we go. Expect temptation. It's coming daily. It's from the devil. It's from the world. It's from the flesh. It's the whole system. devil controls the world. The world affects our flesh. Recognize the pattern. What is the pattern? We see it. We want it. If we could just stop right there, because there's nothing wrong with being tempted. When I say nothing wrong, that's not sin. We we go, oh, my. Don't, don't. But take it. We hide it. Now, what do we do? If we confess, if we fail, Confess our sin, First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Just means he's righteous. He's righteous to forgive us. How can God forgive us when we confess our sins? How? Because Jesus Christ has already what? Paid for every sin, past, present, and future. Listen, Jesus paid for every sin you're going to do tomorrow. So when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just, righteous to forgive you. Why? Because Jesus already paid it all. What a great truth.